off the ball. It's not okay for him to be fine in a test match like that. It's a fulcrum position where everything runs through nine and ten. You don't get to be fine in in matches like that where you start. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode. I'm delighted to say we are joined by the former Irish international and Ulster rugby player Stephen Ferris, who's on board this year as one of the ambassadors for the Gold Mile, which is proudly supported by AIB. This Christmas, AIB is encouraging communities across the island of Ireland to step up together and re-establish the tradition of taking part in the Gold Mile. People and communities across Ireland can step up together to take part by visiting goldmile.org. Stephen, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. Uh, very well, thanks. It's been a it's been a while since I've been on, lads. So um, I know there's a few hot talking points that you might want to drag out of me from the last couple of weeks. So I'm looking forward to the next 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, me too. Before we get to that, right, the, the Gold Mile was one of those traditions that um, we would have done as a family kind of over the last five or six years. But with COVID, it disappeared. So this is a real opportunity for everybody to just remember that it's a good idea to like not just lie on the couch for 48 hours on uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Stephen's Day, uh, get out and you know get some fresh air into your lungs. Yeah, absolutely. Get out and meet up with a few friends. You know, around the Christmas period, this is the 40th anniversary of it. Been going a long time. Um, obviously, Goal the charity, you know, does such good work um, around numerous countries. And you know, if you can just get up and, and be a part of it and sign up, as, as you said, Jerry, you know, all the information's on the website. Um, I'm going to be getting out there. I was down in Dublin there a number of weeks ago, meeting up with the rest of the ambassadors and. I didn't actually realize how, how, how much of a, you know, how, how much people get involved in this. You know, I'm sort of a little bit, you know, out of the loop here in, in Belfast. And, you know, it's really, really big down south. And um, I can't wait to be a part of it this year. Yeah, fingers crossed everybody uh, supports it because, as you said, it's for an absolutely great cause. Um, so let's, let's talk rugby, right? The, the first part we should start with is that we have a back rower who is the best player in the world over the last 12 months. It's a remarkable achievement for Josh van der Fleer because, you know, frequently it's the nines and tens, it's the try scores, or it's like the very flashy players. But sometimes, as you know, back rowers don't get all the credit they deserve. Josh van der Fleer finally getting the credit. Yeah, definitely. Especially when they make the most tackles, they make the most carries, they make the most turnovers. Um, they probably train more than anybody. So, uh, yeah, what an achievement from him. I think he's been so durable as well this year. Um, just seems to be playing on the edge all the time, but it's just, you know, turns it out week in and week out. And I think the reason, one of the main reasons why his name is, is now on that of being the World Player of the Year is because he's been the most consistent player for me. He's been extraordinary for Ireland. Um, anytime he's playing for Leinster, he's been, you know, man of the match or, ne- or nearly thereabouts. Um, and all credit to him. I met Josh. I've met him a handful of times, obviously, but met him what five or six years ago. You know, quite a nice, quiet fella. Um, he's talked about. He hasn't talked about himself, but when he accepted this award, he just talked about everybody else that's helped helped him get there. And I think you know he'd be very, very proud, and his family as well be very, very proud. But what a player! Um, I wish I had a had the opportunity to play alongside somebody like Josh van der Fleer because he, he would have made a few of my tackles for me, Jer. That back row at the moment is very difficult to get into um, and Nick Timoney is right there. Like it, it was interesting that they're, they're kind of, they want to see what he's like. I'd love to see what a back row, you know, horses for courses selection might do where you have 
Timoney and van der Fleer. The way Australia occasionally would do that with two sevens and just be like, well, we're just going to absolutely smother the opposition today. Now, this is nothing against any of the other back rowers who are in the team or in the squad, but wouldn't it be good for us just to experiment a little bit to see, okay, there might be an occasion where we decide that our game is going to be with that. Am I completely mad here? Um, no, not, not at all. I think I think Nick Timoney and Josh van der Fleer are both better ball carriers than Michael Hooper and, say, Papalihi for... You know, New Zealand. I think they're much stronger car, uh, ball carriers. Maybe you know, obviously over the ball and um, tackle technique and being able to slow the rock. Um, you know, is much of a muchness. But Nick Timoney has been exceptional for Ulster over the last couple of seasons, scoring tries. I think it was the start of last season. He had five or six tries in the opening five or six games. Sort of went off a little bit. Um, but yeah, there, there's no doubt in his pedigree, sevens background. He just seems to have an engine on him, like. His pace doesn't change from the first minute to the 80th minute. He just keeps going at that explosive, powerful, um, you know, very dynamic pace, especially the same as Josh. Like, the boys come off after 80 minutes and they look like they could go for another 80 minutes. It's um, it's extraordinary. Is it more important than ever as well, Stephen, in a, in a World Cup year to experiment in the Six Nations? We kind of spoke with, with Ali Quinlan about this yesterday in terms of the, the number 10s, whether it's Carberry or whoever else, Crowley getting the experience and Ross Byrne as well. Do you need to have that, I guess, little bit of experimentation and make sure the players in actual games that mean something are used to stepping up to the plate? Yeah, Shane, like, I've been crying out for the last three or four seasons, even in the tour to New Zealand, um, about experimenting and bringing other people in. But the top international rugby is just all about results and it's all about getting victories. And for Andy Farrell to put five or six lads in in the opening game against Wales away from home in the Six Nations and all of a sudden, you know, they're obviously backed into a corner at the minute with the, the loss to Georgia. So they get a result. Then all of a sudden, it's Ireland. We know how fickle and how international sport can turn on its head within one game, never mind, you know, a full Six Nations campaign. So I think Andy Farrell's got to be very cute and careful with his team selection throughout the Six Nations. Yes, there is opportunity to give guys um, a run, give them a chance. The likes of, you know, Frawley, if he gets himself fit, put him behind a full-strength Irish pack in one or two of the games, see how he goes. If that's Crowley or if it's Carberry, then then, then he can make those decisions. But I've said it for the last two years, like, I I don't think that there's going to be somebody completely left field that's going to come in and start start for Ireland in the Rugby World Cup in the first or second game. Uh, it, It just feels like it's a very settled squad. It feels like there's there's only two or three lads that are going to get in ahead of somebody just because of an injury, not because they're playing really really well. And like I could maybe name off the team that I personally think is going to start if everybody's fighting fit in the Rugby World Cup. I'm sure your, your two teams would be very very similar, and that's been the case for the last couple of seasons. Is that a little bit concerning? Does it kind of smack a little bit of some yeah. preparation that we've had in previous World Cups? Of course it is. Of course it's a concern. Um, you know, Johnny played against South Africa. Jeez, we didn't play brilliantly, but you know, we were, we were up there. Um, we, we met them with the physicality, far, far with far, and Johnny seemed to lead the troops really well. And then their performance just dropped off against Fiji. I find myself chatting to people in the crowd for the majority of that match because it was just it was a non-contest and. It was just a rate just didn't get going. And then all of a sudden there was a you know, Johnny pulls out in the warm up um against Australia. And again it was a really disappointing game. I think, you know, people had paid their entrance fee, maybe got their money's worth out of the last five or six minutes of the game. But apart from that, 
that was it. And that's just taking one player out, Jer. You know, if, if he took two or three out, like we've seen in the World Cup quarterfinal 2015, you know, taking a handful of the senior players out, you know, they really underperformed. Um, and you know, that's that's always the concern. That's the worry. And you just look at the other teams. New Zealand seem to be picking up a bit of form again. South Africa, you know, the squad depth that they have, their URC teams are playing very, very well. Um, and yeah, well, we're just going to have to see how the season plays out. But we we got to keep a consistency in our game because going into previous World Cups, there was a drop off for sure. The Fiji and Australia games almost ended losing more than just the the kicking when, when Johnny Sexton's not on the pitch. Like there's the and Brent Pope was really interesting on this after the match with our, with ourselves uh, on Saturday evening when he's talking about you know sometimes the second rowers and the back rowers they just, they just want to get on with the game. Uh, whereas Johnny has has a leadership position. He's he's vocal. He's you know he's leading the team in terms of the next moves, and that's that seems to be quite lacking when he's not on the pitch. It does. And, you know, Peter O'Mahony last minute had to be brought in as captain at the, at the weekend. And that was probably his poorest game for Ireland in, in, in a long while. And maybe he's just at a stage in his career where he likes to focus and concentrate on his own personal responsibilities um, on the pitch. And, you know, Johnny's a very good way with the referees. Of course, we all know he does go over the line from time to time. But, like, Ben O'Keefe at the weekend, 38 penalties he gave in the game. Uh, or sorry, 24 penalties he gave in the game. There was 38 lineouts in the game. Um, just stop, start, stop, start. It just no flow whatsoever. Um, and you know the other games that were being played, this um, New Zealand game, the French game, so much more flow. Is that just down to a captain? Is that down to you know, like to Johnny being on the pitch? I think a little bit, yes. Um, and you know, <laughs> there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that if Johnny Sexton isn't playing for Ireland, we're not going to play to the same level. And you know, speaking to people, fans walking into the stadium, um, that's just what's been in everybody's lips for the last couple of weeks. But it's been in everybody's lips, uh, realistically, lads, for the last seven years. <laughs> and and um, unfortunately, we're still sitting in that situation. Yeah, I mean, look, I have I have a lot of sympathy here with the coaching ticket as well, where Sexton's game continues to be at a very high level so it's not like yeah. there's an obvious number two so we, we'd like to see Joey Carberry get more game time but he hasn't been fit when the opportunities have presented themselves and so therefore you have to bear his injury profile in mind um, we we thought Frawley was going to get it but it turns out 10 get injured a lot like Harry Byrne was the anointed successor two and a half years ago hasn't played really any meaningful rugby since Ross Byrne is the only one who seems unbreakable and for whatever reason, like he's like fourth or fifth on the depth chart, happy to show up and kick when he needs to. So I don't know. Maybe there is room for uh, Ross Byrne being a hero for Ireland in a World Cup quarterfinal. I think there is. Like I think there's certainly a place for somebody who can, you can rely on to come on, kick a winning penalty, to come on, kick the corners. Like Ross Byrne of what ninety odd percent kicking accuracy in the in the URC for Leinster. He never lets them down. Yes, he's a he's a he's a little bit deeper than Johnny when he's um you know trying to get the, the Leinster attack going or the Ireland attack going. I think he was a bit of a, a scapegoat as well for, you know, Ireland's big loss before the Rugby World Cup in twenty nineteen when they lost fifty seven points to fifteen in Twickenham. I was there that day, I was working the game and nobody showed up for Ireland. But yet everybody was just talking about Ross Byrne wasn't able to get the Irish team going and you know he's not up to international level and blah, blah, blah and all the rest of it. Well, I think he showed 
at the weekend that when the pressure's on and the referee's shouting in his ear that you've only 20 seconds to go and you're stepping up. I tell you what, that wasn't an easy kick and it was a long kick as well. And he stroked it over, no problem, ran back to the halfway and got his team um, over the line in that game. So anybody who doubted his bottle or you know questioned his, his attitude or his credentials in the international rugby, I think he answered a lot of those critics with, with, with just knocking over that penalty. And who knows, he, you know, Jerry, he, he could be the, the guy who could be sitting on the bench in, in a rugby World Cup in the, the opening two or three games because, as you rightly say, he, only, he seems to be the only one that is playing consistent rugby because the rest of them, like, it's, it's, it, it really is a concern when, you know, second, third, fourth choice out half are, are getting very little game time. Um, and that's not just in a green jersey, that's in a, a red of Munster or uh, a blue of Leinster, you know. Yeah, like Crowley's game time is, has been almost as much for Ireland this season as it has because he's actually not first choice 10 or maybe they're going to move um, Carberry to 15 and pick Crowley at 10 I don't know it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with the provinces and how much influence uh, or much pressure they might feel from the Ireland selectors to pick the Ireland players in their positions so it's a a very weird period over the next 5-6 months where everything feels a little bit fake but actually at the same time the Six Nations is there to be won and, and Johnny Sexton was talking about winning stuff and we haven't won anything since was it 18 or 19 um, so he, he doesn't want to be left out of the big games he wants to play against France and England next year in particular and I'm sure when your captain is saying what are you doing not picking me you have to pick me it's hard to have those conversations it's hard to have those conversations the other thing people don't understand I was saying that again at the weekend at the game uh, chatting to a few of the Aussie fans oh why is Johnny starting this is obviously 15-20 minutes before he actually didn't play because of, because of injury and I was like hold on a second Johnny's got what four games left at the Aviva three four you've got France and England at home maybe a couple of Rugby World Cup uh, warm up games and that is it he said to everybody he's going to retire after the Rugby World Cup so like do you reckon he's just going to go ah you know what I'm, I'm grand like you know you you play the, you play against England you play against France like that he wants to keep writing his legacy into the history books of of beating these big teams on the home patch and you know enjoying these final moments. We all know, you know, Rory Best. I got a you know the send off that he wanted. Geez, he had his kids on the pitch every week for about three years. But uh, you know, John, Johnny's going to want to be able to enjoy those special moments with his family in big wins at home in, in the last couple of games. And um, is there going to be that up window of opportunity to, for Andy Farrell to tweak and um, you know bring in other guys? If you're Johnny Saxon, probably not. A couple of Ulster backs uh, putting their hands up as well for, for maybe a bit more inclusion, Stephen, in, in Robert Balakoon and, and Stuart McCluskey. Uh, and look, the, the, the depth chart there is is fairly deep, so it's not easy, but uh, both did quite well over the last three games. Yeah, they did quite well. Like Rob Balakoon, I, I watch him obviously week in, week out. Um, Pierce to burn, see very good under the high ball, not a bad kicking game. But he just doesn't seem as busy as like a Mac Hanson or a James Lowe. And, and people say, oh, yeah, he just hangs out on his wing. I don't think he's obviously you know, he's tracking back and forth, chasing kicks up and down the up and down the pitch. I just think it comes with experience. It comes with being able to look for an opportunity around the breakdown, being able to, you know, back yourself in certain situations. And yes, like wingers have to hold their width as well. You know, you got to spread the defense um, and if it's one-on-one and he's 10 or 15 yards to get in in the try line, you would back him to get there. 
but I don't think he's Ireland's number one uh, winger or number two winger. I think, you know, James Lowe is definitely in there as well. you got to look at, you know, obviously Andrew Conway's come back in. Keith Earls, will he recapture, uh, or capture a bit of form, sorry, um, like he showed five or six years ago, possibly. Uh, so there's plenty of depth in the back three. And, um, you know, I think, you know, the big talking point for me was Stuart McCluskey coming into the Autumn Internationals. Would he get a run? Would Andy Farrell have trust in him to put him in there and get a run? And I, like, leading into the first game, like maybe an hour before the team was announced, I was like, no, he's, he's not going to pick him. And he'll not pick him on the bench either because, you know, he's only played 12, really. And then all of a sudden he was in there and I was like, do you know what? I, I think that sends a message to a lot of people in Ireland, a lot of the players in Ireland, a lot of the guys who are playing week to week, brilliant rugby, uh, because Stuart's been exceptional for Ulster over the last couple of seasons and he thoroughly deserves a spot. Really disappointed, obviously, he didn't get more game time in the South African uh, game first up, but he didn't really put a foot wrong and, um, you know, Bundy come on and scored a decisive try against, uh, against Australia, which I'm sure Stuart deep down wouldn't have really liked to be honest <laughs> <laughs> he would have been the high of bollocks but um, yeah he, he, he's a quality operator and I think he certainly has a spot in Andy Farrell's Rugby World Cup squad yeah and the thing is if anybody gets injured everybody's happy for him to go in like he's he's finally using his bulk and his heft in a, in a meaningful way one other player that I just wanted to get your impression on here before we go is, is Mike Lowry who came in with such with such high hopes that he might be a bit of a, a joker a bit of a game changer somebody who could go in in a number of positions in case of emergency but it hasn't quite worked out for him over the November Internationals? No, it hasn't and Jerry, I'm not, I'm not really sure why because I, I thought he might have been injured or picked up a knock or, you know, why, why did he not get a, a run against Fiji? Um, it's a bit of a strange one. You know, Jimmy O'Brien sort of came out of the, uh, the woodwork as you know, he's obviously played very, very well but I expected Mikey to get some game time and when he played against was it Italy and, you know, scored a brace and, you know, sent James Lowe over as well. You know, very, very unselfishly, you know, he could have scored a hat trick and, you know, he, he, he ran in, he could have got the headlines. And I, I just think that, yeah, I, I, people always ask us, is he too small for international rugby? Is he just, you know, you look at Cheslin Colby, Arenza for um, South Africa and on the wings, they do have a bit more about them, a bit more size about them. Um, they obviously both play in the wing as well. Um, and Mikey Larry, yes, he's been exceptional for Ulster over, over, since he made his debut, really, and, and brilliant for Ireland. But I'm just not sure. I just think there's other lads there that um, maybe are a bit more steady under the high ball and um, a little, maybe a little bit more reliable. But, you know, Mikey Larry, I really did think he was going to get a shot. Unfortunately, is, is there going to be ch- a chance in the Six Nations, Jared? Probably not. It doesn't look like it. Just uh, briefly, Stephen, I know it's not a conversation really that, that leads itself to a brief one, but the um, the Nick White issue that, that uh, came up in the, the Australia game, unsteady on his feet, and I know it led to a bit of a uh, back and forth on Virgin Media uh, after the match between Matt Williams and um, and Rob Carney, Carney saying you have to err on the side of caution when it comes to potential concussion, and Matt kind of saying you have to put the, the trust and the faith in the medical professionals. Um, it's reared its ugly head again, this topic, and I know the HIA process is far from perfect, but I guess it is one of rugby's biggest uh, questions and concerns at the moment. Yeah, it sure is. I could probably sit on with you lads for another 20 minutes uh, and talk about this. Uh, and Matt Williams is, you know, he, he's a calculated guy. I, I work with Matt 
he's very calculated. He knows what he's going to say. It's the last game of the Autumn Internationals. It's a perfect opportunity for him to get his name in lights, to start talking about science. He's talking out of his backside, uh, let's be honest with you. And, like, you can go in and say, oh, um, you know, it's the doctor's fault. You know, they've come out and said the independent doctor, he didn't see the second, you know, where, where Nick White had his head off the ground. And I have a little bit of sympathy with that doctor because he mightn't. And when you get called for an HIA, he's maybe on his way into the change room, doesn't get to see the big screens. He's just getting into performing an HIA. It's the Australian doctors that need to take responsibility. They're the ones that treated Nick White on the pitch. They're the ones that seen him stumble in front of him. They're the ones that looked into his eyes and seen his eyes glazed over. And, you know, that independent doctor seems to be the one that's in the firing line at the minute. Why? It's the questions need to be answered by the Australian doctors, the Australian uh, medical staff, because it was unacceptable. He should not have been brought back onto the pitch. And Matt Williams, put your trust and faith in science. How about you put your trust and faith in your own personal judgment and your own experience? And that's what the you know the, the Australian medical staff didn't do. And you can put a hundred people in with a concussion and do the HIA test or whatever it is, and I bet you. Not every single 100 people out of that test will pass it, you know. So if, for for me, it was a you know, there needs to be lessons, more lessons learned. Jesus, lads, many times we're going to bloody yeah. talk about this. I'm I'm sick I'm sick of family, friends, close um, anybody close to me going, oh geez, ah, uh, what, what you know, if, if it's going on at this level, what's happening at Mini Rugby? What's happening when I send my young kid up to Belfast Harlequins or Dungannon or you know, Gary Ohm, wherever it may be, to go, you know, play mini ropey if they're taking banks in the head and, you know, they're looking at um, lads on the TV being brought back on when obviously they are concussed. And what do we have now, lads? Nick White's been stood down. Yeah. So, like, it's uh, it's something I know there's been a lot of chat about it and, and uh, probably everybody's regurgitating the same information, but... There, there has to be a stance on this because it, it's just not good enough. And just to reference again, Matt Williams, you know, talking about put her faith in science, you know, you, you've got that all wrong. Stephen, always great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, lads. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode.